Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first of a six series podcast called The Modern Cotton Story, sponsored by E3 Sustainable Cotton from BASF. I'm Jennifer Crumpler, Fiber Development Manager from BASF and manager of our E3 Sustainable Cotton program, and will be your host for this exciting series. This week, we're going to tackle the first part of the question, do you know where your cotton comes from? To help answer this question, I'm excited to be joined by Malin Westfall, who is head of U.S. Cotton Business at BASF, and Corey Mills, U.S. Cotton Breeding Agronomist Lead from BASF. So, Corey, Malin, glad to have you guys here today. Yeah, Thanks glad for to having be us. Here. Awesome. And today, we are also joined by Andrew Ola and Bob Antishak of Ola Inc., who will be helping conduct the interview with Malin and Corey for us. I'm super excited about this podcast series and hope that through this journey, you'll be able to better understand, you know, Cotton's story and all the moving parts of what many of us refer to as the fiber value chain. Um, I think that if you ever have had the opportunity to spend time with anyone who touches cotton, from the breeders to the farmer through to the end consumer, the passion that each person brings to their own unique chapter of this story, if you will, is unmatched by any other product or supply chain out there. But as with any great story, it's best to start at the beginning. And so that's just what we're going to be able to do today. So, Bob, um, why don't we go ahead and begin with you and let you and Andrew kind of help ask some of those burning questions that we typically have around this topic. Jennifer, thank you very much. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, both Andrew and I, so that you know, uh, we like kind of a free-flowing kind of discussion with our guests. So we'll switch off back and forth um, as we go through the various questions and talk about cotton uh, today. Um, the first question I, that I have is uh, for Malin. And the question is, how would you describe BSF's cotton business today and its importance to America, uh, American agriculture? Well, Bob, thanks for the question, and uh, I'm excited to be here. And, and uh, if I had to describe BASF's cotton business today, uh, I would sum it up in one word, which is exciting. And the reason it's exciting is, is that we have the opportunity to work with folks throughout the value chain. Uh, we get to work intimately with growers who use uh, sustainably accepted practices to raise the cotton seed that we sell them. Uh, we get to help them manage that crop uh, from the time that the seed is put into the ground until they deliver uh, the cotton uh, to the gin for the next, next step. Um, in addition to working with the farmers, uh, we also get to work with uh, the cotton gins as mentioned, um, and, and all the way through the value chain, we get to work with different uh, folks until it ends up um, in, a, in a consumer product, uh, apparel, uh, home good, uh, what have you. And, and it's just really exciting because we get to see from start to finish um, what American agriculture can do for the consumer. You know, how they can take something as small as, as uh, your, your little finger, uh, fingernail there, plant it in the ground, and turn it into uh, a pair of jeans or a set of sheets for your bed um, and, and really get to work with it from start to finish. I, I love what I do, and, and every day is an adventure, um, and I love connecting um, all those folks um, that touch cotton from, from start to finish. Sounds great, Milan. Thank you very much. Uh, Andrew, how about you? Yeah. You have a thank question? You, Bob, and, and a big thank you to Jennifer for letting me have the chance to um, participate in this in this podcast. I have a question for Corey. Hey, Corey. 
Um, please, Corey, can you describe what you do at BASF and also describe the importance of proper cotton breeding, how it affects sustainable production in the United States today? And also, since we have some people in the audience that might not be familiar with breeding, can you explain what it is? Yes, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Hello, everyone. It is a pleasure to be part of this podcast, uh, Andrew, and thanks for the question. What I do in BASF, I manage a cotton breeding team that's responsible for evaluating pre-commercial varieties for growers. Uh, that's what we do. We evaluate thousands of lines across the cotton belt in the U.S. I work uh, with a team of agronomists. I work with the sales teams to develop the best uh, next variety. It's critical to work together as a team to better understand what growers need. Okay, that's for us as a breeding group and as a breeding team, the goal is to bring value to the, to the grower. So that's our number one goal. So that's important that I'd like to, to try to hammer on that, that, we, that we understand our growers and what they're doing. But this could look different for the growers across the US and even the world. So, uh, so each geography has specific challenges. We strive to create solutions for them through adaptable varieties. Uh, sustainable agriculture also looks different across some of these geographies. I personally grew up on a farm and I understand, you know, my father, he wanted to pass his farm on to his children. Uh, and this is an important part of sustainability. Another part of the sustainability is using the best management practices to continue to grow these crops year after year to sustain families. And that's another part. So sustainable management practices tend to be different across the cotton belt. And it could be to, due to a lot of different factors that we, we have to, to look at. And that some of those factors are weather, soil type, rainfall, crop rotations, and some other, other factors. So it's important for us to communicate. So we better understand the growers need to develop, uh, you know, the best variety for them to bring value to them. So breeding, uh, Andrew, to come back to your question, what is breeding in a sense, in its simplest form, it's just the science of changing traits of a plant, basically in order to produce desired char characteristics. So what does this mean? Well, for breeders, we first want to identify and communicate with growers, right? We need to understand our objective. What, what do the growers need? So then we take several parent lines, we make crosses with other parent lines, and then we want to have the best chance of satisfy, satisfying the growers' needs. So with that, with that being said, each parent line has desired traits that contributes to, the, to increased production. So to give you an example of this could be well, maybe we want to increase drought tolerance or disease tolerance or increase yield and fiber quality. So plant breeders or breeders like myself, we seek to improve performance on these varieties that will result increased in the increased value for the grower. So that's to, to come in a full circle. We need to understand growers, their needs, and that's our goal is to, to breed better varieties for the farmers and their families so they can have an increased value. Thank you, Corey, that's great. Um, appreciate that. Bob, I know you have a question for Corey. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Corey, as a follow-up, um, day in and day out, what are the kind of uh, decisions that you have to make? In other words, you have to figure out, uh, along with management and your, your broader team uh, at BASF, in terms of what are the particular qualities or traits that you want to have in your cotton, you know what's what's most important to you? Is it is it are 
things like yield or, or drought tolerance? Are there others? What's uh, what drives your decision making? Yeah, Bob, that's a great decision. So, so with that being said, I would say breeding is exciting. I mean, it's uh, it's fun. I love what I do. Uh, who can say they have the opportunity to directly impact feeding and clothing in the world? You know, it's pretty, it's, it's fun to be a part of it. And so those are the, some of the decisions we make. Um, we have the opportunity to increase like crop production through a lot of different means. So in cotton specifically, we make uh, several hundred crosses with lines. And we do this by, by basically moving cotton pollen to another plant. And when that's called cross pollinating. And then we collect this seed at the end of the season. So with, with these several hundred crosses, we then make selections within these lines with the goal to improve production. So then we have these lines and they're tested for several years in order to find the best variety. So these are some of the decisions that we have to make. We have to compare these new selections to our already known variety checks because we want to increase that. And what we call that is, is genetic gain in the breeding world. So each year we're trying to increase uh, production or certain traits that I talked about previously. So that's our goal. Uh, decisions we make are based upon like the product profile for each geography, because it could be different. We look at tens of thousands of lines. We begin the process of elimination uh, and eliminating these underperformers. Uh, decisions are based on like visual We'll go out in the fields, we'll walk fields, we'll walk them several times each year. We spend a lot of time out there looking at them, looking at the growth pattern. We use visual and quantitative data to drive these important decisions. Um, some of these things that we screen that are very important for farmers are disease pressure. You've mentioned a couple, Bob, like yield, drought, um, heat, and what's, what's most important is to understand the growers and their geography, what, what they're struggling with, and that's how we make those decisions. Now, particular traits are selected for, and, and they could be changed by geography. Um, for example, maybe in West Texas, where they grow a lot of cotton, we select a tighter bull due to the weather and also a more drought-tolerant variety, which you've mentioned already, drought-tolerant. So those are key traits that we select for in, in a West Texas area. And, but if we move east, maybe to the Mid-South, we select more for disease and actually a more loose cotton bull. So, because they have a different way of harvesting it based on the environment. So specific traits uh, that we select for are, are yield, fiber quality, disease tolerance, drought tolerance, heat tolerance, the height or growth habit, leaf hair, bull tightness, seedling emergence and vigor, so yes, yeah, absolutely. There's always more traits based on the geography. But what's fun, Bob, is talking to growers. You always ask them, hey, what do you want in a variety? And they always say, we want everything. <laughs> and <that's, laughs> You know what I mean? Isn't that like yeah, all of us? Totally. We, always, yeah. we always want everything, right? So by the end of the, the day, the, we want the growers to be uh, compensated for yield and quality. Those are some traits that go across the whole cotton belt, our uh, They've always, they get paid on the, the yield and quality. So again, that's, that's what we do. And it is exciting. I love what I do. So um, Corey, Hey, this is Jennifer and I will hop in here with uh, Andrew and Bob and the exciting things about those traits that you guys um, breed and do. And just to give our listeners an idea about how long does it take from when you first start your process that you discussed of 
you know, crossing the pollen of the cotton, about how many years or how long does it take to, from that initial beginning breeding until you actually have seed and available for um, our farmers to be able to buy and plant? Yeah, Jennifer, thanks for the question. Excellent question. And this is a fun question I like to ask uh, uh, even growers or people that I see, um, but it takes 10 to 12 years to develop a new variety. And so as a, a breeder, you've, you've got to be communicating with um, your, your grower, right? Who's there and what they need, because you start work on a new variety and 10 years later, you're going to have hopefully something that's better. So it's always important to look out up front um, of that and, and to really develop what the, what the farmer needs. But it does take time. Obviously, it's biology. Things are always changing. So, but that's what's good. It's a, it's a challenge and it's fun. It's enjoyable. Yeah, awesome. And I think, Andrew, it's interesting, um, you know, and I know you had a question for Malin around some of that. Um, and I think it's interesting to see that, you know, and talk to some of your textile denim and some of our apparel um, friends and just knowing, you know, before we were able to get that cotton there to them to that meal, it took about 12 years for us to be able to get to that stuff. And I always think that's so fascinating. It's incredible how, how complicated and how much time is involved in getting the right product. It's amazing. Um, I had a question. Yeah, I have a question for Malin. Um, GMO has been around since 1996. And um, I'd like to ask you, Malin, how does BASF wish to introduce textile supply chain customers to GMO cotton? I mean, as you know, it can be difficult for mills and brands and consumers to understand the benefits of GMO production. But what do you think and how's the best way to explain the benefits of GMO to the supply chain? Well, Andrew, thanks for the question. And, and this is one of those topics that, uh, that we could spend uh, a lot of time um, discussing. I know um, all the listeners probably have an opinion of GMO, um, and we could spend, like I said, a lot of time uh, talking about each uh, and everybody's uh, thoughts and opinions. But I'll, I'll give you my take um, on GMO. So I, when I talk about uh, GMOs and cotton, um, what I first like to say is, is that uh, hindsight's 2020, and and if we had the opportunity to call uh, call these products anything but GMO, um, I think we would jump at that opportunity. But um, it is what it is, and 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 we came up with a name of or the industry came up with a name of genetically modified organisms, which just sounds like a scary thing, and it's completely understandable to those folks that aren't um, as close to the industry to to really be concerned about what that means. Um, and 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 the way I like to explain GMO is is it's an opportunity for growers to raise cotton and use less herbicides, less pesticides, basically less, they get to use less of the things that raise concerns for them and their family on their farm, right? They're able to, um, to raise cotton um, and maximize the production without using a lot of harmful uh, chemicals um, in their crop. Um, and, and, and that's important to them because I think it's important for for the, um, the textile supply chain customers and, and others to understand that, yes, farming is a business, um, but, but our farmers also raise their family in the same place that they work. And it's really, really important to them um, to be able to use the most sustainable practices available um, to make sure that they're still growing the cotton um, that consumers are demanding, but at the same time, uh, preserving their family's health, uh, preserving, preserving their farm health, um, so they have something to pass down to the next generation. Um, usually a follow-up question to um, the question around GMOs is, 
So talk to me about organic. Why shouldn't we all just go to organic um, cotton as, as an example? Um, and, and I guess where my mind on that is, is that I, I feel so blessed that we're in a country where we have the choice, right? If a consumer wants to purchase organic cotton, they have that ability. Um, if they want to produce sustainably grown cotton, they have that opportunity as well. Um, to me, the big difference, though, when I look at organic cotton versus uh, sustainably grown cotton is that when, when you purchase organic cotton, it's really only addressing one aspect of a farmer's production. Um, you know, organic limits um, or restricts the amounts of pesticides and, and herbicides and insecticides that a farmer can use. But when they purchase um, apparel and, and uh, home goods and other things made with E3 sustainably grown cotton, um, they can rest assured that we're taking a more holistic look at the uh, uh, at how a farmer raises cotton. You know, to be part of the E3 sustainable cotton program, uh, farmers are measured on uh, seven key uh, metrics from soil conservation to the use of water as irrigation, um, soil carbon footprint, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, energy use, water quality, um, just to name a few. So they can, um, they can rest assured that uh, when they uh, purchase products that were made with uh, E3 sustainably grown cotton, that it takes a much more holistic um, approach to a farmer's production than, um, than organic does. Thank you, Malin. Um, turn it over to you, Bob. I know you have a question. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um, I have a, another question for Corey. Um, Corey, is there an ideal cotton? that can be bred to account for virtually any real world growing situation? Or does the breeding constantly have to evolve? Yeah, Bob, great question. Um, you know, my first thought is, I feel that breeding would, would constantly need uh, to evolve. And I mean, wouldn't it be great to have an ideal cotton for all growing situations? I mean, that would be fantastic, absolutely. But we know that things change. And I think they will continue to change and, and adapt. So I guess for us um, in the breeding world, we will continue to have challenges as we, move, as we move forward. And I think this is how life is as well. You know, we have challenges, but we can look at those challenges in different ways. And I think challenges uh, can give us opportunities to grow and become uh, better and, and we become stronger. They stretch us. Challenges can stretch us to new and better things. I think breeding will always be needed to improve the crop production and increase profitability for growers and their families. I think there's they're always gonna be a need because with disease, um, with insects, there's, there's always things that are gonna uh, challenge the grower for, for the top production or their best production. So I feel that we, we can use innovation through technology to maybe to combat some of these challenges. There's so many new efficiencies available to us now than just maybe 10 or even 20 years ago. And so we're learning more about DNA structure, uh, genetic makeup of plants, like understanding them more and, and uh, how we can get them to better adapt to different regions because the geographies tend to change. Um, so we have increased opportunities for selections for uh, a lot of the things I just mentioned, disease, drought, and uh, specifically adaptability. So with that being said, it's exciting. It's exciting to be in the breeding world today uh, and to really see all the amazing advancements uh, that we will make is, uh, uh, make us better at creating varieties for growers. So I think again, in the, things will change in the future. We're gonna need increased uh, 
technology and, and innovation as we move forward. Sounds great, Corey. It sounds uh, sounds like innovation is really kind of central to what you do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always some great scientists, great people that get get in the field. They're bright, you know, they're young and they have these great, great opportunities and they also have these, uh, these new ideas that help. So awesome. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Corey. Andrew, you have the pleasure of the last question. Okay. My, my question is to both Corey and to Malin. And I'm wondering if you guys can describe what you consider to be the absolute best features of the E3 sustainable cotton program. And also, if you don't mind, can you get into the areas where you can see improvements in the future? Absolutely. Corey, I'll let you take it and uh, then I'll, I'll chime in after you do. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Malin. Um, for me, the best feature of the E3 sustainable cotton program is the traceability of the cotton. Um, I think it's, it's amazing if we could track the bale of cotton back to the grower. Uh, so we could see this whole line of where things start, you know, and where things end right to the customer. Um, that, you know, to buy the, the shirts or the pants. Um, I think people in general could have a better understanding from start to finish. I think as we have a better understanding, we can understand the process and have more respect even for, for the growers that, uh, that that's their life is growing this, this cotton and uh, bringing value to their family what it takes and how decisions are made to make a shirt and a pair of pants. I think that ties this all together. But to me, most important part of this is that it benefits will go back to the farmer, uh, the grower, because they, uh, they have a lot of risk in the game with weather, um, things they cannot predict. And so they will, I, my hope is they will receive some re return on investment based on their sustainable practices in the field. So, each geography has different way of, of doing these sustainable practices to produce cotton. And I think it's great that we're able to, to recognize these farmers and what they're doing to make things more efficient and also better on the land, uh, the improvements they make. So as a breeder, I think we can better, like improvements for the future as a breeder, we can better tailor to the end product instead of just the grower. Because right now our goal is just, is just to, to reach what the grower needs. But if we could even extend that further uh, to high quality cotton that will spin better in the mill that we know if, if as a breeder, we set these goals that some of that um, return of investment could come back to the farmer. That would, that would, uh, I think, do a whole circle. And to me, that's important. And uh, to focus on the whole process. Malin, that's what I had. Go ahead. Awesome, man. You, you, you kind of took all my words. So I'll, I'll try to add in without, uh, without uh, repeating, but you know, earlier in the podcast, I talked about some of the things that I looked to be or looked at as some of the best features of the E3 uh, sustainable cotton program. You know, I really like the fact that uh, we help a grower um, look at his entire operation. You know, like I, like I mentioned before, you know, it's not just about pesticide management and usage. We're looking at water efficiency and soil and fertility management and greenhouse gas reduction and and worker health and safety, energy conservation, identity preservation. But, but really what I, what I like the most about the E3 sustainable cotton program or story is, you know, it's, it's the human element. You know, we, a lot of times um, uh, in the industry, we talk about the value chain and, and that word or two words, I guess, just seems so sterile. What this really is all about is connecting the humans in this process with each other. You know, you've heard Corey talk about the things that he and his team does to breed the best cotton seed possible. 
Um, we talk about the farmers who get those those cotton seeds that are the size of a pencil eraser, right? And and um, they bank their whole livelihood on planting that little seed in the ground and having a crop and a and a product that delivers uh, cotton um, that can then be pushed to the next person in the chain at the at the gin and and so on and so forth and ultimately end up with a consumer that has a product um, that they um, can sleep well at night knowing that that product was made with cotton that was uh, was cared for and grown in a sustainable manner that leaves the world in a better place uh, than when we started. And really, when I think about improvements in the future, that's where I start is how can we continue to meet the needs of consumers at the same time, um, leaving leaving the land in a better place than it was when uh, when we got it to begin with. So. So for me, uh, Andrew and Bob, that's that's what I see out of the uh, E3 Sustainable Cotton Program. And I can't thank uh, you guys enough for this opportunity to, to visit on it. Obviously, you can see that uh, both Corey and I um, have a lot of passion in what we do. Um, and we have a lot of uh, passion for, for our, farmer, our farmer customers as well. Thank you, Malin. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Jennifer? Yeah, awesome. Well, um, yeah, Andrew, Bob, Corey, Malin, and, and I think Malin kind of, you know, summed it up well. And I think that, um, you know, it is all about the people. And that is what I, I'm excited that through this podcast that we can help introduce you, the listeners, to the people of, you know, that help write and tell that story of cotton and the modernness of it. Um, I think, you know, we have seen and have so many exciting guests coming on in the future. And you know, and be able to help make it more personal um, the way we do. So, you know, I'd like to thank Andrew, Bob, everyone for, um, you know, the round of conversations, the questions, answers, um, and helping, you know, really introduce our audience to BASF and our breeding program, our E3 sustainable program, the importance of breeding, um, and really our outlook for the future. And then finally, I'd like to thank you, the listener, today, and we hope that you found our podcast interesting. You know, we hope we'll turn in, tune in next time for part two of this, um, you know, series where the second part we look at is, you know, getting information and the perspective from a grower. So excited for that piece of it. So if you have, um, if anyone should have any questions about our E3 Sustainable Cotton Program, please email me at e3cotton at basf.com. And thanks again for listening. Thank you.